Welcome to the 200th episode of Disrupt Education. I'm Peter Hostrosser, your host. Thank you so much for being here on this special occasion. I can't wait to jump in and talk with this guest. But before we get there, please hit that subscribe button. Share this out. We hit 200 for a reason because you love the podcast and you're finding different ways to innovate education. And this podcast is all about that. Hit that subscribe button. Share it out. Let's celebrate together. Also, I'm a proud member of the EdUp Experience Podcast Network. That means I am part of a podcast network of innovative educators. And if you want to see them all, go to edupexperience.com. On this episode, number 200, I have Dr. Ken Wallace, who is an award-winning superintendent of one of America's most innovative school districts. And that district was Google's first K-12 partner. He's also the founder of the Chicago Coaching Center and founding partner of the Illinois Personal Learning Network. Let me tell you something, Ken is never one to hold back. He tells it like it is and creates learning systems that work for everyone. And he's coming up next on our 200th episode of Disrupt Education. Are you an individual or business wanting to create an online course or training program, but are overwhelmed with the e-learning process and don't even know where to start? If so, you don't want to miss this free masterclass called Create and Launch a Successful E-Learning Program Online Course or Virtual Training, where you will learn the biggest mistake most people make with e-learning, the number one reason most e-learning programs fail, and the three pillars to create extraordinary value for your learners every time and much more. Get instant access to the free masterclass right now by clicking on the link in the description. All you have to do is sign in and you will get instant access to this free masterclass right now. I recently asked Jake, who is a sophomore in high school, why he uses SpikeView to share his learning journey. Um, I think it's really cool that you know SpikeView is really putting that abstract into con- concrete data and knowledge and then displaying that to the outside world. And I think SpikeView is different than anything else out there. Um, like I said before, because it's really taking that, you know, the, that those abstract skill sets and those abstract experiences and putting them into data that, you know, is actually mathematic and scientific and, um, you know, that matches you up with the best programs and, um, you know, best places for you. People, um, you know, who are really trying to make those changes in the world and they're going to be using SpikeView because SpikeView is that app where you can, you know, take, take those experiences and take those passions and put them out there. Um, and share with other people and that's you know that's really powerful and that you know that professional networking piece um, you know to be with other like-minded teenagers that puts you ahead that puts you ahead in a lot of ways and so um, you know I think anyone who uses SpikeView right now has a leg up in the future and excited to see you know where those SpikeView alumni head up. Head to SpikeView.com start your portfolio now for free. Welcome to the Disrupt Education Podcast. We are on episode 200 and I have been waiting to ask this gentleman to come on because I knew I needed a big number to, to have uh, Ken Wallace on and he is the superintendent of the 
one of the most innovative, if not the most innovative uh, districts here in the United States, uh, Maine Township High School District 207. He's also the founder of the Chicago Coaching Center. And guess what? Uh, Google was the first to work with his district um, in a K through 12 partnership. Ken Wallace, thank you so much for joining me on this epic journey number 200. All right, Peter, man, it's an honor to be here. Episode 200. Yeah. Um, so that's that's cool. I'm, I'm honored to be here. Awesome. Awesome. Well, so right now, tell us a little bit more about yourself. You, there are so many more. There's awards in there. There's all different kinds of things. But as a superintendent, as a human being, who are you and what are you doing and what's your role right now? Uh, that's a big question. So so uh, I just, you know, I got to say I've been on this really amazing journey. I just turned 60 a couple of weeks ago. And if you had told me 20 years ago I'd be here uh, as a superintendent at Maine Township High School District 207, I'd ask how in the world did that happen? Uh, so it's been kind of an organic journey. Different things have happened in my life that have forced to turn this way or that way. I never actually had on my bucket list to be a superintendent. I love teaching. I love coaching. Uh, you know, education in, in its purest form is really trying to create better learning conditions for humans. And I really applied that as a classroom teacher and as a coach and just love the, the journey to maximize human potential. Um, but one thing led to another. I got into leadership and um, was fortunate enough 17 years ago to come to Maine Township. I was actually working on my dissertation. I studied uh, learning, uh, actually reading, writing, speaking, listening, performance differences between males and females, which is what we, got me into neuroscience. So I've been super fascinated with that. I used to attend a lot of the learning and brain conferences out in Boston at Harvard and MIT and follow a lot of neuroscientists. So I've just been totally always fascinated with how humans learn. When I came to Maine, I was the assistant superintendent for curriculum instruction, still the probably the most fun job I've ever had, most rewarding job. But um, after working for a couple of superintendents and seeing the potential of what Maine could be, we'd already partnered with Google you know, in the, in the K-12 space, but I really was interested in, in trying to see what was possible in the adult learning space. And, um, and I wasn't sure that the super next superintendent I'd work with would really have the commitment to try to do it. So I rolled the dice, applied for the job, uh, got lucky. I was the first, I'm the first superintendent ever hired from within me. And then we set out to really, um, try to coach everybody. And we're finishing our eighth year of coaching everybody. That's probably been the most transform transformative thing, I would say, that, that we've done because what it really set in motion is a practice that helped drive the culture of continuous learning and create a real learning community. So we can do things now that we couldn't have dreamed of doing 10 years ago because I think we've really set in motion this idea of um, you know, a culture of learning for adults. So I'm just a, I'm a simple old country boy from Indiana. Uh, one of your questions, I think, is some of the things I've done in the past. Um, and um, I just have been fascinated about learning stuff personally. You know, I used to run roofing crews. I've worked construction. I've worked on um, in agriculture space. I've um, did singing telegrams in a gorilla costume. So I, I have a long list of crazy stuff I've done. And um, and you know what? I'm hoping to still do a lot of crazy stuff in this universe. Uh, well, I still got some time in it. I love it. Happy belated 60th. You look, you don't look a day over 50, my friend. That's it. That's, That's where cool. I'm at. So I'm about 10 years behind you. Um, so yeah, we are both uh, Indiana kin, actually. We're both from uh, Indiana. 
Um, I think awesome people just come from Indiana. I'm just a little biased. Um, but let's uh, let's dig into your own educational journey. Um, even you know before you were roofing and singing in gorilla costumes and such. Um, usually, what I find with a lot of my um, my my interviews are that there's something there that made you more curious about you know neuroscience and learning how to learn and such in your journey. Um, take us through what kind of student Ken was and um, maybe some of those highlights that kind of tipped you off into you know where you are now and in, in your push to change education for the better. Uh, I was mostly a pain in the ass student uh, because I was highly bored and. Um, you know, I didn't have a lot of great teachers, frankly, growing up. Um, I had some inf influential teachers, but I had a couple that stood out um, in terms of what I, I, I always tested well. So I got by because I tested well and, and school was really boring for me. Um, so I have a lot of sympathy for those uh, knuckleheads um, out there. I, I've always had an affinity for knuckleheads, male and female knuckleheads, because I was pretty much a knucklehead myself. And, um, you know, so I, I just I've always seen the world a little bit different. I've always been the kid who uh, asked questions and challenged things. And so I respect people that do that. Um, but the first most impactful teacher in my life was a guy named Gary Cat. I went to high school. I went to a Catholic grade school where there's a lot of crime and punishment involved with Catholic grade school. And, and I being a junior criminal in, in Catholic grade school, I, I suffered a lot of punishment. So uh I learned how to be fast and shifty then to run away from the nuns. But uh, I went to the public high school as a ninth grader. And uh, a few weeks in school, my algebra teacher, my freshman algebra teacher was a guy named Gary Cat. And two, three weeks into school, now this is 1975. So think lime, polyester, bell bottom suit with a jacket. Okay, you got to go back to this. You know, the, the, the Led Zeppelin was big. Peter Frampton was about to come alive. And you know, uh, we were growing our hair and having a good time. So it was a good, good time to be a kid in high school. Anyway, two, three weeks into, into high school, Gary Cat, we'd been studying something for the life of me. I don't remember what it was, but we were studying something that we took an assessment on. And as an entire class, we didn't do very well. And Gary stood up in front of the class and he, you know, just a really, just a really, just an awesome, awesome dude very patient, very thoughtful, just one of the smartest guys I ever met. But he looked at the class and he said, you know, I didn't do a good enough job of preparing you for this material. It was the first time in my life I'd ever heard a teacher say anything like that. And I know that at that time, you know, I was 14 or 15. So who talks to their parents when they're 14 or 15? So I never went home and talked to my parents. I didn't talk to my friends about it. I don't think I talked to anybody about it, but I never forgot that because it was such a rare occurrence in my experience um, that someone would actually say that. And that was really the first time I, I witnessed actual teaching humility in a way that that really struck me. Um, later, you know, in college, I had another professor named Tom Rivers. And Tom was the first guy to value questions more than answers. And it really, it was the first time I was kind of thrown for a loop because it just, you know, flipped the script on learning where it was like, okay, here's the stuff I want you to remember boring stuff, you know, study, regurgitate, rinse and repeat. And instead he was all about constructivism and constructing questions. And, and it was the, it was, it was a little frustrating at first because it was so rare, but it really, really changed my thinking dramatically. And it's probably one of the significant things that helped me become a, 
a better writing teacher early in my career when I didn't have a lot of guidance. I didn't have mentoring. I didn't have coaching. One of the reasons I'm so passionate about adult learning is my own journey was just devoid of it. I didn't. I had to figure a lot of stuff out for myself. I could have used some mentors. I could have used coaching. I could have used some really smart people guiding me because I wanted to be not just good. I wanted to be great at my craft. And I had to figure a lot of stuff out. But I was fortunate enough to have a couple of people. One, Gary modeled the humility of being a learner that I've never forgotten. I think that's implicit in uh, anyone's personal learning journey. And it's certainly implicit in a professional learning community. If you want to build one, you've got to really um, promote and practice self-reflection and humility. And we've tried to build that into certainly our coaching model. Uh, but in but as a writing teacher, having the journey in my classroom be about the questioning and heuristics and constructivism, just it helped me be a better teacher because I really, I reached for that early on when I was trying to figure it out and correct some of my mistakes uh, where today, one of our new our newest coaching path at District 207 is we actually take student teachers and we coach them while they're in student teaching. So, so all the all the mistakes that every rookie makes, we coach in the moment to try to help people be prepared to come out. So, uh, anyway, as a student, I was uh, I, I so I got married young and had kids young, and I was working three or four jobs. One of which was the singing telegram and the gorilla suit gig. That was part time, but the hourly wage on that was actually stellar. I just didn't did have enough work, you know, to keep me gainfully employed. Um, in in rural Indiana, you know, I guess I you know there just aren't enough gorilla gigs out there to to do that. So I had to you know I had to work on hog farms and roof houses and you know stuff like that. But um, you know I was just trying to figure it out. And but when I I got married young, had kids young, working three or four jobs, and I never made better grades in my life than then. So it just was, um, you know, I got by with, you know, B's when I could have probably been a straight A student and I got by. I, I really wish I'd had better role models. If I could go back and say, okay, what would you change? But all in all, uh, I continued and have tried to continue to just continue to learn and get better and, um, and then just be really uh, passionate and focused about how to, I'm a systems thinker, so how to create these systems where, you know, it's a great school isn't just having a great teacher in that classroom and that classroom and, and that classroom over there. A great school was about having a great teacher in every classroom and having some really high impact strategies and having that at scale and having these learning experiences at scale. So I have always tried to think about a systems way to approach the work. What are some of the things that you've um, brought to Maine Township that you're proud of, including, I mean, you, you've already mentioned the student teacher teaching, man, I could have used that. I can guarantee you 20 years ago when I started, um, you are on your own. And if you have that family around you, um, you would get a better picture of it. Mine was just check the box, get over in the corner. Um, but beyond that, what are some of the other interesting programs you've done uh, and or experimented with um, in creating uh, a newer way of systems and, and helping more and more students and educators just move forward as human beings? So the thing I'm most passionate about right now is actually the individual career planning that we're doing for students. Uh, we're doing it at scale in a way that I haven't seen it anywhere else. We've got a lot of people that come and look at our model. Most models are the traditional where, okay, we take the college bound kids, we put them over on this track and we think bulletproof, they can't fail. Not true, never been true. And then we take the career and tech ed kids and those are considered the career kids. Well, last time I checked, people sending their kids to college expect and hope that they would have a career. But the truth is 
We got more young kids living in their parents' basement now than at any time in modern history. We got more kids buried in debt. One out of two college graduates is underemployed. And those are the kids that actually graduate. What about the kid that goes for two or three years or seven years and never gets a diploma? So we've got to really work on that. Um, I really got passionate about this 10 years ago, just playing, paying attention to the job market and realizing what a mismatch that, that we've had in terms of how we've built schools where we've just treated, um, you know, we treated success post high school as if there's only one way to do it and just go to college, kid, everything's going to be okay. And it's, we've done a, in my opinion, we've done a great disservice to our kids. Colleges are, are way behind. Um, and, but high, so I think high schools really have to take the lead on this. I, for me, it's about the decision-making before you go into high school. So we're really trying to redesign at a granular level. It's actually a big research study. Uh, where every one of our kids has an individual career plan. It's an iterative plan based on actual experience. It's kind of a takeoff on the Project Lead the Way research, where kids that go through the Project Lead the Way stick in schools of engineering at a much higher rate. Well, about 10 years ago, I asked our team, what if we tried to do that with every possible career a kid might want to go into? If the worst thing that happens is a kid goes and does an accounting internship you know, during their senior year and figures out, oh my God, I hate this, good. Because you know who figures that out now? Kids that go to U of I and get an engineering degree and three months in in one of the big firms in the city and they go, oh my God, I signed up for 30 years of this. Well, what if you could solve for that in high school and really figure out uh, what the kids are passionate about? What And we really bias toward a liberal wage. We use a suite of tools. We're the first in America based on the software designers to use this analytical tools. Three of them all three of them have the Bureau of Labor Statistics data, but one of them's got the Indeed platform. So we get jobs data every 24 hours. So we're really looking at return on investment, where the jobs are, where the demand is, where the growth is. Um, and in a district that's got two of its three schools are non-majority schools. You want to change the world, you change the trajectory of a kid. Because if I can change the trajectory of a kid, especially a first-gen kid, I don't just change their life. I change their kid's life and maybe their grandkid's life. And that's really that's the that's the thing to solve for in this country it's the opportunity and the enrichment gap we have such a divide in this country between the haves and the have-nots and for me that's my passion is to try to fix that just by really trying to get a scalable model that people can follow there's a lot of things in this world i can't fix but what i can do is try to build you know just a really awesome high school system that that tries to get it right for every kid I have lived that actually. Um, when you said internship, I, I went all the way through in radio broadcast and I did my internship. So spot on. I do remember in my fourth year, um, I was yeah one of those students, and and I, I really appreciate that because I think we share a lot of the uh, the same look at how do we get students to just experiment and, and experience a lot of things before they go forward. Um, mindset change of previous generations and and people looking at um, beyond the uh, grade and beyond uh, test scores is a difficult one. How do you how do you work around some of those blockers and maybe some other blockers that you have seen um, in systems um, where, you know, we, we all think the number is the only thing that a, that a student is? Well, and, and that's such BS, and the, and the research is really clear on that. It's axiomatic data. You take, you take the millions of data sets of SAT and ACT, there's direct linear correlation between the scores and household income. You don't have to go up in very high increment bands. Like you can literally go up in ten or $20,000 increment bands, and as we go up in those bands, 
the test scores rise in a linear fashion. So it's axiomatic that that's really telling us who's rich and who's poor. That's the problem to solve for. And you don't do that by more standardized testing. All that does is just reinforce the system. So one is you, you have to change the narrative and um, you've got to really try to make school about skills and about dispositions and about experience. And what you're trying to do at the, at the end of the day, if you can create a learner, someone that's got some skills, but, but especially the disposition and the confidence to know that they can solve problems and they can learn, I think you've done something really well because in this economy where, you know, quantum computing is, is just, it's, it's rising exponentially. And so the knowledge of this, of, of the world is rising exponentially. You've got to have folks who can continue to learn. And we're in the state's competency pilot. And I love that we, you know, we're doing integrated math. We've had more kids get in access successfully freshman math than we've ever had in the history of this district, even when we were mostly white and had one or 2% low income. Uh, and so I'm really proud of that, but that's, that's in a standards-based framework and a competency, fr competency framework. And what that is, is it's giving us the space to really reimagine how we, um, how we create learning experiences. And math is the perfect, I mean, we started in math, the hardest place you can start. And we've had great success in math, which tells me if we can do it in math, we can do it anywhere. You know, learning ought to be like, you know, studying judo. And if we study judo and, and the idea is, you know, we're going to get a black belt. If if I'm, uh, you know, my skill I'm testing on the Tayatoshi or the Hodaka Jume today, and, um, you know, I don't master that or, or demonstrate mastery, well, you don't kick me out. Uh, and tell me I'm a failure. We keep working on those skills until I can perfect them and use them, uh, you know, to standards. And then I keep progressing in 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 my belt. Well, that's what competency really allows us to do to to reframe this idea of time, and and instead you can really personalize education more to the learner uh, profile, which is everybody's different, and you can really. Um, uh, open up the avenue to to make learning about each kid's personal journey. And frankly, we've tried to do that with our adults about their own personal journey. And I've always thought from a design standpoint, you really want to mirror what you're trying to do with the kids, with the, with the adults. That's the big mistake in, in education is we focus just on the kids' design pathways. Well, if you don't have adult learners that have practiced cooperative learning, that have practiced differentiation, that have practiced blended learning, they're going to have a hard time rolling things like that out and, and executing them with students themselves. So we really try to integrate those things. But, you know, the essence of your question is really, candidly, I don't pay attention to standardized testing. And I tell anybody that'll listen, and you probably heard me or retweeted me, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's a waste of time. Colleges know it. They know the dirty little secret. The colleges are the biggest hypocrites on the in the U.S. on this because, you know, they've used standardized testing to admit kids while their own data has shown them, hey, we're just really disproportionately admitting the the, the richest kids in America. So they've had to really uh, um, account for that. And that's why you're seeing the trend in higher ed be test optional because they know if they don't change that, they're going to keep advantaging the most advantaged kids. If you want to change the world, you got to change that. You can't keep advantaging the already most advantaged kids. You've got to really work at systems that, that you know, change people's trajectory and the people, especially that haven't had the same enrichment. And this is a neuroscience construct. I could do a podcast just on the, the, the connection between neuroscience 
and 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 these test scores and enrichment and and the economy it's it's all kind of hard baked into into one one of the biggest blockers that i run into a lot and i i kind of researched a little bit you probably see this a lot um lawmakers what are some things that you would like lawmakers to do statewide countywide united states wide worldwide you know those blockers. What what are some of the things that in a, in a great world they would change? Stop passing so many freaking laws. I was at a at a thing on Friday, and there were just this year in Illinois, there are a hundred new laws, which you know I tweeted out about this, and and a Chad Watkins from ISA was was talking to us at North Cook, and a hundred new laws. I mean, think about that. Just just to manifest and interpret and digest that. And that's just one year. And that happens every year. And a bunch of those laws have a bunch of unfunded mandates. And, and what ends up happening is just administratively, you get pulled a mile wide instead of really having hyper-focused. And, and I, we understand the politics of this. You know, State reps that go down, they want to get a law passed that they've sponsored. They, you know, I think there's this belief that that gives them some cachet, and maybe it does. But the problem is, is that we're pawns in education to that. Most of the laws that were passed, they're well-meaning. Someone, you know, some someone's got a particular experience, and I'm not, you know, obviously I I believe in in laws, and I believe in legislation, and I believe in the appropriate regulation that does try to help most people. Uh, I, I believe in that, but there, but there's just a, there's a lack of coherence in it, and and often the people who are the subject matter experts, which in this case are the, are the educators, are the last to get in the room. And Illinois has its own particular idiosyncrasies. Excuse me, in this um, just because of the makeup of the state, every state has its idiosyncrasies. But I think just if anything, paring back some of the regulation keeping the things that matter. I certainly don't want to, we don't want to harm kids. We don't want to create schools that are harmful to kids or, or to staff, but I think we've over-regulated schools to the point that, that it's just so much just a process. I mean, think a hundred new laws in one year. And again, to each of the reps that, that sponsored those, each of those is, is well-meaning to them, but, but here in the, in the field, and that's a hundred this year, there'll be a hundred next year. And it just gets to be too much. And if you track a couple of people, have, you know, here was the book in in 1975 and then here it was in 2000. And now it's this big. And it's like, you know, at some point, how about how about a new rule? How about every law we pass? We got to take two off. And and if we do that for, you know, a few years, maybe maybe we'll make some progress that way. Well, you know, and then you throw a pandemic in there and it stretches uh, the leaders even more. Um, so what is next for you, for the Chicago uh, Coaching Center, for Main Township High School District 207? What's something uh, that is that, that we can look for in the future? And then how can people connect with you and the district to learn more? So uh, we just rolled out um, uh, level three coaching this year uh, under the, uh, the coaching center is led by the amazing Jill Jill Karras. If you don't know Jill, uh, if you're in the education space, she's someone you definitely want to know. Um, what I love about Maine is that uh, we've been able to have long-term goals. You know, we're not changing goals every, every year. We, you know, the, the path in the adult learning space is about, 
making, you know, if you, if you isolate all the research and you isolate the variables that matter the most, well, the variable, variable that matters the most that we have any control over is the quality of teacher in the classroom. So we are in pursuit. You, you never get to perfect. You never get to done with that. And so, you know, I always take the long view on things and, and we are just a few years away from having a, a district where the majority of our, of our staff have only ever known coaching. Think about that. There's going to be a point in time when when only every staff member has only ever been coached every year of their career. What's the potential of that and how good can we be? And those are the questions we're asking. Those are questions I'm really proud of. Whenever I decide to step away from Maine, those are going to be questions that are baked into our system that will never go away. Well, those are the I mean, if you think about what you want to pursue in education, that is it. How good can you be? And can you create a condition and systems to be in pursuit of that and have a root system in your garden where it's 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 got roots and, and it's owned and distributed among the staff? And that's what we've got. And it just gets better and better and better. Um, the, the question about, you know, the individual career planning, if we're not about changing the trajectory of kids' lives, what are we about? So that's an essential question. And we've built a system that it, that it again, we'll never get to perfect on that because we will never get it perfect for every single kid. But man, we're going to try and we can get so much better every year. And we already do that. So so in terms of what's in the future, it's continuing the the the, the really essential paths that we have. All of those. I mean, if you look at our systems thinking, you know, everything's Everything's uh, uh, steeped in in high impact instruction and equity and really trying to do well and be well for our students and and, and all of the various lives. I mean, we, our kids speak 75 different languages in their homes. So we are privileged to have kids from virtually every corner of the globe in our district. That's a tremendous privilege and it's a tremendous responsibility that we don't take lightly. So I think we're we've got some hard wired designs in our system that you can continue to tweak and 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 really sandbox and that's the coolest thing about maine in my opinion um you know yes what i earlier you know what i bring to maine and what i brought to maine i can tell you we're we're radically different today than we were 17 years ago we were a very traditional high school we thought we had two jobs get your kid through high school get them enrolled in college go have a good life we did our job not nearly enough and and we and we weren't a good learning organization. We were a, we were a siloed organization. We had three different high schools, and if this was a glass of water in one, it had to be called something else in another. And so we've worked to move away from being a system of schools into a school system, which is how you get to be a learning community. And and that's at its at its core. That's what education is about. Can you create the conditions where people? reflect and 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 have the humility to know I'm never going to figure all this out. So just be a learner. Just be a learner. Lower the cost of failure. Uh, we want this to be a sandbox mentality. We really want to be analogous to what a teaching hospital is and just be in the pursuit of really, really great learning conditions. And that is being okay with failure, treated as a learning condition. And man, I, I love what I do. I, I love, love, love what I do. And I'm so blessed and so privileged. We've got amazing kids. We've got amazing communities. We've got amazing staff. And, um, and I love the journey that we're on and I'm, I'm super passionate about it. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to hang in there for a while and, and see how, how good we can be. So you are, uh, you're very active on Twitter, uh, Ken Wallace 207. Um, where else can people link up with you and, or see what, uh, your school district's doing? Because I know I have a lot of listeners who are school leaders and parents who are 
you know, just digging for some cool stuff and, and some, some innovators, uh, which you are, how, how can people also connect? So I'm on LinkedIn too. I'm more active on Twitter. I'm also on, uh, on Instagram under, under Kdubs 207. That's K D U B S 207. I don't post there quite as much, but then, you know, go to main207.org. All of our schools have, uh, Twitter feeds that are pretty active, Facebook. So a lot of our stuff is on there. We're in a, in the midst of a quarter of a billion dollar, uh, renovation between all three high schools. So that's awesome to be able to have uh, physical designs that match the learning designs that we've tried to implement in schools. And that's been an awesome, awesome thing. Um, we could talk more about that. But if you really look at some of our videos, you'll get a sense of what's going on. There's some just physical space transformation going on in high school. So I'm super proud of that work, too. We should probably make our, our thing here a series because there is so many deep avenues we can go into with the, the coaching, the CTE, the, the physical spaces. Um, and uh, we'll let our let our uh, listeners kind of dig into that and see what we can get. I'll ask a question on this podcast. Ken, you do not disappoint. You are an amazing individual who just is all about paying it forward. We're lucky to have you. And I'm very lucky to be in the same region of, uh, of you as well here in the Chicagoland in the United States. Thank you so much for being here for our 200th uh, episode. I really appreciate it. All right, Peter, man, it's good. To, it's good to see you again. And uh, you take care and happy to join you anytime, brother. Awesome. And thank you, listeners. We appreciate it. Here's to 200 more.